Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we enter into verse 9. Whoa, boy. <laughs> I hope you have your waders on, not just your hip boots. This is, this is going to get into some areas that uh, are going to be very challenging to say the least. And we're talking about to each his own as we're de- looking now at the list of the gifts that Paul gives here in these verses in chapter 12. To each his own. This is part two. We started this last week. Someone shared an illustration with me this past week concerning Brother Manley Beasley. Most of you know who he is or was. He's in heaven today. He used to come to our church, speak all the time. He had about 14 terminal illnesses. I think one would counteract the other. And somehow God just kept him alive just to preach. Literally, in the latter days of his life, they had to carry him to the pulpit and he could hardly breathe. He'd step in the pulpit and preach like a man who was 30 years old and full of health. Incredible, incredible man of God. And a story told about Brother Manley, and I just did a meeting with his son, Bubba, who's now grown up and with children. But Brother Manley told a story years and years ago that traveling as he does, he frequently would call home just to keep in touch and obviously going through the loneliness on the road that I know very well. He called home and Bubba, his little boy, answered the phone. And when he heard that it was Manly, his daddy, he says, Daddy, when are you coming home? And Manly would tell him. And he said, well, Daddy, what are you going to bring me? And Manly said he was caught by the fact that Bubba wanted the gift. Now, the giver was on the phone, but Bubba was wanting the gift. Daddy, what are you going to bring me? Marthy Manley's wife got on the phone and she said, Honey, I'm just going to be so glad when you get home. The difference in a child and the mother. The child is more interested in what he's going to bring them. The mother is more interested in the one who's coming home. One wants the gift. The other wants the giver. Same thing happened a few weeks ago when we went down to Florida to see my daughter Stephanie, Eric, my son-in-law, and little Holland, the most precious granddaughter that's ever been born on the face of this earth. First thing Holland wanted to know is, Poppy, that's me, Poppy. Poppy brings gifts. Poppy, that's me, Nana and Poppy. She said, Poppy, what did you bring me? That's all she wanted to know. I mean, she's fine, you're here, good, glad you had a good trip. What did you bring me? Because Poppy does bring gifts. Doesn't matter, no price is even in the mindset when it comes to the granddaughter. (laughs) But when Stephanie and Eric saw me, and especially Stephanie, she just hugged us and said, I'm so glad to see you. Babies want the gift, but people that have matured want the giver. Now, there's nothing wrong with how little Holland acted, nor Bubba when he was little, because they were just babies, and babies act like babies. But you see, when they grow up and still act like babies, that becomes the problem. And as we shift gears from that illustration to the church of Corinth, you know exactly where I'm going. The Corinthian believers were still babies according to chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. After all the teaching through the years, the best taught church in the New Testament, Paul had been their preacher. Apollos had been their preacher. They had had the great teaching. They understood, but they were still babies. This immaturity had led to all kinds of divisions, and had caused a distorted overemphasis on spiritual gifts, particularly those manifestations of people who said they were influenced by the Holy Spirit. 
The very use of the word manifestations in verse 7 tells us that the Corinthian baby believers were caught up in this type of thing. The word phanerosis is the word for manifestations in verse 7. And it's used for making something visible. Something that is made manifest so others can see it. You see, babies have to see it. And they live in the sight and in the sensual world. Paul is trying to bring them back to reality. To where their focus won't be on those manifestations any longer. But upon Christ. If your focus is upon Christ, those manifestations will take their place. And they will be as God would order them. But when your focus is on the gift and the manifestation of these gifts, then you become distorted in the way that you live. When the giver is the focus, he will use the manifestations of the gifts that he gives, the ministries and the effects. He will use them to unite the body, not to divide it. To build the body, not to destroy it. Now to illustrate this, it is God the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts. Look at verse 4 again in chapter 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, this is the same Holy Spirit that gives the gifts that produces the fruit. And we talked about the fact that the gifts come wrapped, and the wrapping is the fruit. You can fake the gift, but you cannot fake the fruit. Galatians 5, and 23 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. God produces in the gift a love that is not self-centered, but a love that is interested only in the interest of others. And that's what wraps itself around the gifts. And this same Holy Spirit that gives the gifts, that produces the fruit, is the same Holy Spirit that brings unity to all the believers in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. So if a gift or manifestation is dividing God's people, then the one who has that gift or claims to have it is a person who's not living under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. And we need to get that down solidly in our minds. There is nothing any more important in the body of Christ than unity. And when a person is not even willing to walk away from what he says as a gift or a manifestation for the sake of the unity of the body, then that person needs to be questioned as to his maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is as important as the unity of the body. Christ prayed that all believers could be one as He and the Father are one. God rules and reigns in His church through the gifts, ministries, and effect. It is God. It is not the man. It is God in the man. In verse 6 we saw that it is God who works all things in all persons. And we saw that that word all persons could include, it really means all things. He works all things in all things. He's in charge of everything. But particularly in the people that are in the body of Christ. He is ruling and reigning in his church. Now listen, he's, he's out to accomplish his own purposes, not our purposes. You can't get a committee and ask God to bless it. It's God's purposes being worked out inside of his people. He and he alone decides the gift and the ministry and the effect. And he energizes all three of them. He uses the gifts to unify and edify the body of Christ. Verse 7 says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The word for common good is a word that means to bring together, seen together with. The word pharos, which means to bring, to bring together. So when God, who's accomplishing all things in the body, through the gifts and through the ministries and through the effects, when God is at work producing the fruit, producing the unity, then he's, not, he's bringing the body together, not driving them apart. So we see some tremendous truth here that performs this grid that we have had before we started into these gifts. In verse 7 and verse 8, it catches us by surprise when we discover that the words giving the gifts in verse 8 and then to each one is given in verse 7 is in the present passive tense. I thought it'd be in the aorist. I thought it'd at least be in the perfect tense, but it's in the present passive tense. Not only is the one who gave gifts, but he's the one who's constantly giving gifts. It's the word in the present passive tense. This puts all the gifts under his prerogative. If you received a gift at salvation, then it's only God who can cause it to be usable. No one can call them up on his own. We saw the first category of the gifts that he gives and is continuing to give in verse 8 is the equipping gifts. Now in this category of equipping gifts, God has chosen to manifest himself through some in the body with the word of wisdom. 
For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now, the fact that the word logos is used for word indicates to me that that's a speaking gift. This gift of Scripture is taking Scripture and, and teaching people how to bring it down and practically apply it in their everyday life. Everybody needs wisdom, and God gives it liberally. And there are those who are gifted to speak that wisdom to the church according to the Word of God. But in the same category of these speaking gifts, God has also chosen to manifest himself so that it might be seen in those who also speak, but he's given them the word of knowledge. Another speaking gift. He says, for to one, in verse 8, is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now the word of knowledge is not some mystical, God just gave me a word. That's not the word. That would be the word O-I-D-A, either. That's not used there. It's the word that is used for acquired knowledge, knowledge that has to be studied, things that you learn either from experience or from putting the nose to the grind, and then coming up with something on the end. Now remember, this is for the benefit of the body, not for the, just for the individual who discovered it. And so there's a the person giving the speaking gift, and God chooses to manifest. Just like they were having manifestations in Corinth of all these other things, Paul is saying, yes, God does manifest himself, and he does through people that speak, but it's according to the word of God. It'll either be the word of wisdom, or it'll be the word of knowledge. Why does God, Paul start with the speaking gifts? And I don't think there's any question in anybody's mind, because that is exactly the perversion that was going on in the church of Corinth. And he says, God manifests speaking gifts through some in the body, but those gifts take the word and not only clarify it, but they apply it. It'll always be within the bounds of the word of God. And that was different from what was going on in the Corinthian church. And he's trying to show a difference of what's happening there and what God chooses to do to manifest these gifts in those he chooses to give them to. Now, by the present passive tense, used in verse 7 and 8. We have to conclude something. God not only has given at spiritual birth certain things, and whatever gift he's given, he, uh, and he alone can energize it along the way, only to the degree we're willing to surrender to him. No man can be proud of his gifts. He has to be grateful to the giver because only the giver can make them work and only to accomplish the purposes the giver chooses that they must accomplish. But the second thing we must conclude is that since they are being given, God also can give gifts at other times in a Christian's life. They can come in a moment. They can come in an instant and then be taken away because it is God who is giving the gifts. Paul addressed the equipping gifts. Now he's about to address a category of a totally different kind. Now I'll tell you what, it's going to take a, it took a lot of understanding on the Corinthians' part to grasp this if they did. And it's going to take a lot of understanding on our part to grasp it, indeed, if we can. I have never believed, and do not now, and I want to go on record as saying this. I do not believe Paul is teaching a full teaching on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I think what he's doing is trying to counter an era that's going on in the church of Corinth. And what he does is, is to try to right the confusion that's going on within that church. In 1 Corinthians, he's trying to clear up a ton of misunderstanding about manifestations of the Spirit. He's going to seeking to show the Corinthian believers that God does manifest himself, but within the bounds of his word and within the bounds of his purposes. God chooses to do it, but when he manifests and it is attached to him or to his spirit or to his, to his son, then when it does, it'll have a certain direction, certain boundaries, and it'll be very well defined. In verses 9 and 10, we're now going to enter the category of the extraordinary gifts. We've left the equipping gifts, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, takes the word, clarifies it, and applies it. But now we move into the, the area of the extraordinary gifts. It's introduced in verse 9 by the word to another. And the word another is heteros. Remember I showed you the difference last week? Alos means another of the same kind, or it can mean numerically another, but in, when both words are used, it, it clarifies that it's another of the same kind. And then the word heteros is a word that means to another of a totally different kind. And the emphasis is not on the person this gift is given to, the emphasis is on the gift that is given. And we must understand that as we walk through. He shifts gears. He steps into a brand new category. 
has nothing to do with the category of the equipping gifts. This is totally in itself a different category. The second category of gifts, the extraordinary, you look at verse 9. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Now, one of the first things you learn to do when you're studying Greek is to remember that the definite article plays a huge role in clearing up a lot of misunderstanding. If the word had a definite article behind the word faith, it would be talking about the word of God. It would be talking about the gospel. It would be talking about that which we all as a church hold to, the doctrine that nobody can veer from. But that's, this word does not have the definite article behind it. It's an arthros. It does not have that article. Therefore, instead of identifying something, it qualifies something. You see, when God chooses to give this gift of faith to someone, they would immediately be empowered by the Spirit of God to believe God no matter what it is, even to remove mountains. Over in chapter 13 and verse 2, Paul says, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. So it's a boldness and a confidence to take God's word and stand on it and believe it, no matter what the circumstances that come. Now we must notice where Paul has put this gift. He says the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and then he puts to one or to another of a different kind, faith. You see, this faith cannot be outside of what the wisdom and the knowledge of the word of God has grounded. It's not something like presumption. Faith is not presumption. For a person to claim that he has this gift and to step out and say, I just believe God can do it and I'm gonna go do it and ask God to bless it. I was in a conference recently and I got there and I thought, oh my goodness, ooh, they have called the wrong person to speak. They got up and started the music and I mean they were having a ball. I love the music. I, I can get any kind of music. I don't care what it is. I can get into it. But all of a sudden, the guy came up to introduce me. And when he got up to introduce me, he started getting into preaching. He said, and brethren, and brethren. He started shouting. I said, uh-oh, we are in for a surprise today. And he said, these people that just sit and soak, get out there and do something, God will bless it. He said, if you hadn't passed out a track, you better get out there and pass out a track. And he started shifting gears, telling people that what they need to do is just do something. And God would bless what they do. And I'm next. I've got to speak next. Man, they were saying, yes, sir. You ever heard anybody do that in a service? I mean, they get with it. One old guy got up one time, just mentioned the blood, and the whole place goes nuts. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. I'm thinking to myself, where in the world am I? And I walked up to the pulpit, man, they said, go, brother, bless you, brother, bless you, brother, preach to us. And I walked up and picked up 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I said, isn't it amazing how many immature believers you have in churches that teach the Word of God? Whew. Hey, it's kind of fun in a way. I never get asked back, but boy, it sure is fun on that one shot. And I started sharing with them the people that don't live up under the Word of God, that don't ground themselves in the Word of God. What they call faith is nothing more than presumption. And I took them over to Hebrews and showed them they don't even have the discernment to draw a line between this is of God and this is the flesh. Oh, it got quieter and quieter and quieter. What some people call faith is nothing more than stupid presumption. Excuse me, it's exactly the way I feel. I'm gonna step out here, God's gonna catch me. Not on your life, he may let you splatter for all you know. And then look down and say, see that guy, he's a fool. He didn't think, he didn't understand that faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. He doesn't put faith first, he puts faith third. After the wisdom of the word, after the knowledge of the word, then he shifts gears into this category and he says to one is given the gift of faith. It is a kind of faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God that produces a boldness and a confidence in the person who has it. In Acts chapter four, verse 13, turn over there. Let me just, let's look at this. Acts chapter four and verse 13. There's a word translated in the New American Standard as confidence. It truly is a better translation of King James Version. It ought to be boldness. Let me show you what he says here. Acts chapter four and verse 13. It says in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, Now as they observed the boldness instead of confidence, remember, of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men as far as the world was concerned, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been, how? With Jesus. 
You see, when you're with Jesus, you're going to be in his word. You say, Wayne, how do you keep putting those two together? Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what with my word? You will keep my word. I don't know how in the world you separate the word from Jesus. Now, some people say, oh, Brother Wayne, you're just so in love with the word, you're not even in love with Jesus. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. If I'm in love with Jesus, I want to know what he has to say. And the two have got to be married together. And faith comes not just from the word, but coming coming from my confidence in who he is. If I have confidence in him, then I can trust what he says. And I'll stand on it, which produces a boldness and a confidence in my life to face whatever situation that comes. And there's some people that God just chooses from time to time to uniquely give that particular boldness and confidence. The word it's parousia or parousia. Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. You'll find it used there. Again, a boldness, a courage. Obviously stemming from Christ and his word to face whatever you have to face. 1 Timothy 3 verse 13. Now you can maybe begin to understand why these gifts can be given only at a moment in time. Because you... You're not having to do that in every minute, but there are certain things that will hit you in life that this extreme measure of faith must be given, and God chooses to do that. 1 Timothy 3, verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence or boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now this boldness, this courage again, is to face those difficult, the most difficult of circumstances. It may be in the hour of attack by the enemy. It may be in the crisis of a circumstance. It may be in doing the unexpected. And we never know when those things are going to come in our life. But it is only God who chooses at that moment to say, I'm gifting you right now. Hello, that must be important. I'm gifting you right now with the gift of faith. You need it. You're about to face something that you've never faced before. And I'm going to gift it to you right now. You've had faith all along. But I'm going to gift you with this faith so that you can have the boldness and the courage to face whatever it is that comes your way. When Peter was to discipline Ananias and Sapphira, we don't find any other record of him doing this with anybody else, but when he disciplined Ananias and Sapphira, remember the story? When they lied to the Holy Spirit of God, it took this kind of courage to carry that out. For Peter to look at her and say, today you're dead. To him, today you're dead. Drop dead right in his sight. Now that was something that God gifted him at that very moment. That was not something he was born again with. He had faith, certainly, because Christ is in his life. But this is an extreme measure, an extraordinary measure of faith to believe God at that very moment when, that, when he encountered that. Another instance was found when Paul struck Elimus, the sorcerer, and struck him blind over in Acts chapter 13 and verse 11. To say this is something that every person has in every situation would not fit what Paul is saying here. God who is giving the gift constantly is in control of when he chooses it for it to operate. The gift is listed before all the other things he has to say. And I think this is important. He starts a category in verse 9. He says to heteros, to another of a different kind, shifts gears and puts them in the extraordinary category. And then following that word faith, he uses oftos, or alos rather, alos, to another, to another, alos, another, another. He links together several things here that frame the category of extraordinary gifts. It seems like that faith is the well out of which the rest of these and this, and this little list here come from. Now let's look and see how they line up under the gift of faith. The boldness, the courage coming from God's word and our confidence in him to face whatever it is that comes our way. And God gives it, and God gives it, and God gives it. And when he gives it, it's him, the giver, that has to be in control of it. The one who receives it is the one who in weakness now is made strong. One of the situations, and many of us understand this from personal experience, most of us do, that God's gift of boldness and courage to face whatever is when he faces illness, when he faces weakness, or when he faces discouraging times that just literally render him weak to where he cannot do anything else. And so Paul starts the next one. He says, to another, the word alos of the same kind, to another of the same kind as faith, the gifts of healings. Isn't it amazing how he immediately goes to that very area 
I don't know what was going on in Corinth. I know the sexual disease was so bad that you can go to Corinth today, and many of you have been and some are going. When you get there, there's a museum that holds the artifacts of what they found in Corinth, and one building there is locked. And you know what they say? They say they won't let you in because it's too embarrassing in the 20th century to see what they discovered from the relics they've dug up from Corinth. So there was all kinds of disease and illness and everything else in the city of Corinth. I wouldn't be surprised, and I have not thoroughly researched this because I've stayed in the Word, but I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't some types of healings under the name of the Holy Spirit of God. P. N. Curian told me from India, he said, Wayne, you people in America think that anything that is extraordinary has to be from God. He says, do you realize that I have seen more healings in pagan cults in India than you'll ever see in any healing meeting in the United States of America? You know, we have to be very, very careful as we draw these lines now as we go through. But he puts healings right after he puts faith, which is right after he puts the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. So it's all tying together. There is no gift of healing as the word there is in the plural. If you'll notice very carefully, gifts, plural, of healings, plural. The reason healing is in the plural is because healing is as varied and different as are the gifts themselves and as is the body of Christ. The very mention of plural gifts of healings immediately opens the door for the fact that healings may come in varying degrees and in varying ways. We tend to think of it as someone who's cured miraculously. We hear all the stories. Well, such and such went over here and such and such laid his hands on him and such and such was healed. And we hear that and we think that's what he's talking about here. No, 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 no. But the very fact that it's in the plural opens a door to all kinds of healings. And for certain, God chooses to heal some people in a miraculous way, but in others he does it in just as a miraculous way, but not in the way we think that he would do it. It's amazing how this is so wrongly taught in the 20th century Americanized world. We see it as taught that the gift of healing is a gift that only some in the body have, as if it's a singular gift. They can go to this one and to that one to heal them, and people go to great meetings held in big arenas just so they can be healed. Had a friend of mine call me one day from Mississippi. Let me just say this to you. His name was Floyd. <laughs> I won't say any more. You're probably kin to him. Floyd called me about 2 o'clock in the morning, and that's why I now have an unlisted number. <laughs> but he called me at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I barely was awake, and I said, hello. Wayne, what? This is Floyd. Floyd, do you know what time in the morning it is? Wayne, i got to talk to you, and i got to talk to you right now. Well, finally he convinced me to get out of bed, and I went in the other room so I wouldn't keep dying awake. And I said, what in the world's wrong with you? He said, I went over to Birmingham last night to a healing meeting. I said, you did? I said, why in the world did you do that, Floyd? He said, I got a friend of mine who's tried everything. He's been the natural foods route. He's been the herbal route. He's been all the different routes. He's been to every doctor. He's got cancer, and he's going down fast. And he said, we just went over as a last-ditch effort. We thought maybe, and he asked me to go with him, so I just went with him. I said, what happened, Frank or Floyd? He said, when I got over there, they, when I walked in the door, they said, sir, come here. And I walked over and they said, can you be an usher tonight? He said, well, I guess so. <laughs> with, my, with my friend here. I thought, all right, we'll take care of you, Fred. We want you to be an usher. He said, Wayne, we took five offerings that night. That's not a bad idea, by the way. I think some of these things, if we're going to go one route, let's go the whole route. <laughs> let's just count it after we take it up and say, nope, nope, not enough. Let's go again. Let's go again. <laughs> five offerings. He said at the very end of the meeting, they called my friend down there, and he said a man put his hand on his head and it knocked him completely out. He just hit the floor. And he proclaimed my friend was healed of all the diseases that he had. I said, was he? He said, I don't know. I said, well, what happened to you? I said, what's wrong with you? He said, Wayne, they called us down there, the ushers. They said they went to each usher. And I said, what did they say to you? He said, they asked us, are you sick? Or you have any ailment anywhere in your body? I said, what did you say, Floyd? You have to understand, he played football at Ole Miss and probably been beat a long time in his head. They said, sir, do you have any ailments? He says, well, my mother's been sick for the last three weeks. And the guy reached his head up and hit him on the forehead and he said, Wayne, something happened to me. I said, what happened to you, Floyd? He said, it was like hot lead was poured in my head. It knocked me out cold. He said, when I came to, I was laying on the floor. My friend, who already had gone out, was laying there, he was coming to, and he was grinning from ear to ear. I don't know, he said, I don't know what was going on in him. And he said, Wayne, what in the world happened to me? 
I said, well, Floyd, I don't know. I ain't got a clue. I don't doubt that it happened, but let's just see if we can. I said, how do you feel right now? He said, I've never been as afraid in all of my life. Well, God didn't give the spirit of fear, so let's move that aside. What else do you feel? He said, I'm as confused as I've ever been before. I said, God is not the author of confusion. And we walked through this thing, and when we concluded, it was not of God. Now, that makes some people mad when you say it. Because what we've done in America has made a circus out of this one little phrase, gifts of healings. And we think somebody has a shingle hanging on their door, has a little gift that they have tattooed on their arm, and they go around healing people. Well, if that's so, will you please go to Memorial Hospital? Will you please go to Erlanger Hospital? Will you walk up and down those halls and heal the people? That's what we think about it. We think when a person has this gift of healing, that he can call it forward whenever he wants to call it forward. He can even plan it by having a meeting and putting it on the calendar eight months later. And people come. And we've already learned, you can't call any gift and tell when it's going to be used. But you have to be so surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God, you walk in as if you were on holy ground with your shoes off because God may or may not use that gift to do anything with the people that are there. Now, folks, what we've got to do is start putting our thinking cap on. Think, think, gifts of healing. I think before you can even start to understand gifts of healings, you've got to understand the varying kinds of disease or ailments from which one is healed. And if you don't understand that, then you can't understand why he says gifts, plural, of healings, plural. The word for disease is translated that, and it's really a word that has caused much confusion. The word that you see mostly in Scripture, translated sickness, is a word that doesn't mean sickness, but it's translated that way. It's the little word asthenia. It comes from the privative ah, without, and the word sthenos, which means strength, without strength. It can refer to a sick person, but that's not the meaning of the word. The house that a sick person lives in is the word asthenia. It covers a multitude of, of varying degrees of weakness in a person. It may be sickness, it may be weariness, it may be whatever, but it's all in that same house. You see, we lack strength in varying degrees. The word asthenia is the first word referring to ailments in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Look over there and let me show you what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. It's translated infirmities. And I want you to see here, verse 17 of Matthew chapter 8. It says in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 8, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, he himself took our, what does your translation say? Infirmities, and then you have another word in that verse, and carried away our diseases. Now, which one means sickness? Which one means disease? If you're sick, you've got a disease. You see, the word infirmities is, not, is the word asthenias. It's the word that means those who are weak, physically weak, any kind of weak, and that may produce a sickness and a disease or be the, the, the territory through which the disease enters. But a person is weak, he's weary, That's, he lacks strength. Uh, as a matter of fact, over in Luke chapter 9, verse 2, it's translated wrongly. In New American Standard Version, it says in Luke 9, 2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Now, that really isn't the translation. The King James again picks it up better. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. But the word sick is the word asthenias. It means those who are without strength. Not necessarily those who have a disease. Now when you start making the word asthenias always mean sick, you're losing the whole thought train of what the word means. Now in Matthew 8, 17, and stay there, I hope you're still there, there's another word translated diseases there. Now this is the word that refers to diseases, gnosis. It's the word we get the word nosology from. Nosology deals with the classification of disease. So you got people that are infirm, which means they are weak. They have whatever's going on in their life, they've been without strength. Man, they can't do anything. But then the word nosus is the word for disease that causes sickness. Now, this same word nosology, to show you the varying kinds of diseases, we don't ever think about this, this when we think of people sick, is over in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 4. You got to look there. When you start thinking of the varying kind of diseases, and now we got the right word. When you start talking about sicknesses, there are all kinds of sicknesses. 
It's used metaphorically over in 1 Corinthians 6, 4. In other words, to draw a picture of a different, it, it's in the same, it's another category where the word is used. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 4. And it's used of a sick mind. We think of sickness as being somebody with cancer. We think of sickness as somebody with the flu. But this is a person with a sick mind, a minister as a matter of fact. And it says in verse 4, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions. Back up here where it says he has a morbid interest in the New American Standard, that's this little word, no suits. In other words, he has a disease. He has a sick mind. Paul's referring to a bad minister. He's proud, he knows nothing, and his mind is so sick or morbid that he automatically engages in arguments and word fights or whatever it can do to bring dissension in the body of Christ. Now, how many times has, have you thought of a person with a sick mind that causes arguments and division in the church as a person who needs to be healed? But he uses that word. It's a disease. See, what we've got to start learning is that there are all kinds of sicknesses. There are all kinds of weaknesses. That's why it's put in the plural. Gifts, plural, of healings, plural. Again, you can be sick, but you can still function. Or you can be sick and be immobile. I mean, which one are you going to do with? There are, as there are a category of degrees of physical weaknesses and sicknesses, so are there categories of degrees of healings. And as there are malfunctions in any number of the parts of the human body or personality, so there are peculiar healings to go with that malfunction. Paul wanted us to realize that all healings, and this is the thing I want you to hear. Paul wants us to understand that all healing, no matter what it is, whether it's in a big arena when somebody really did get healed, I don't have any question with that, whether it's in a, wherever it is, if it's a bad minister being healed of a sick mind, bringing division to a church, or whatever it is, all healings come from God. You see, what you do when you start talking about the gift of healing, you forget about the people who are healed in other, any other way. That's not a gift. That's just a natural thing. This is a gift. This is so supernatural. I've got a story to tell to America and I can write a book about it. That's not it. The phrase gifts of healings opens the door for all kinds of healings. The way a person is healed is totally immaterial. The way he's healed is totally immaterial. He or she may be miraculously healed without medication, but he or she may be totally healed with medication. But it's never the medication. It is God who gives the healing. We've got to understand this. Being healed may also come from God's intervention. He just steps in. In using of normal means, such as doctors or medicine, in the treatment of sicknesses and diseases, you know, it's amazing when Jesus would heal the different ways. Remember, there was a doctor in the New Testament named Luke, and he was a physician. What was he around for? I mean, who needs him if you can just get healed every time you just want to get on your knees and pray and ask God to heal you? There are many, many degrees of sicknesses and of healings. Now, for this word, osteneus, weaknesses, infirmities, or lack of strength, one of the first things that you would give to a person that, that in that category, infirm, is a person with proper food and drink or the most natural means of healing. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, I'm on a, this one on a diet not long ago. It was about the 825th diet I've been on. I, I think I've lost three elephants in my life. I've gained back about five. But one of the first things that a person ought to do when he's sick is to find out what made him sick. Why would God heal him to put him back on junk food? Because all he has to do is eat the proper foods and get the proper rest. But the healing that comes to his body is still the gifts of healings. It's God doing it. A person can take an aspirin to heal a headache. Or a person cannot have an aspirin and pray to God to heal it. God can heal it. Both of them are gifts of healing. You see, it's all God's gifts of healings. This is clearly demonstrated in the discussion by James in James chapter 5. Turn over there with me if you would. I think it's as clear as a nose on your face. Some people take it and use it as a doctrine. I used to take these verses and carry a little bottle of oil around with me. And anybody want me to pray for them, buddy, I'd get them down, put it on their forehead immediately. <laughs> and we'd pray for them. I thought that's what this verse was talking about. Not anymore, but I used to. Look here in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now, there are no question marks in, in Greek. 
So most likely this was a statement, someone among you is sick. Instead of, is there somebody among you sick? They had no question marks, punctuation marks. Uh, it refers to a believer. And it also shows you that believers are not exempt from sickness. I don't know why in the world we think that if we walk right with God, we're never going to have to deal with illness. That's ridiculous. Verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Or there's someone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Now the tense here is having anointed him with oil in the name of the Lord. The anointing with oil is the application of, a physical, of the physical remedy. Now let me explain something about their times. We, we translate scripture out of American culture. We have Eckerd's on Walgreens. We have Revco. We've got doctors. We've got Memorial Clinic we can run up to here. You can go to Erlanger. You can go wherever you want to go. And that's why we translate the book of James. They didn't have doctors, only one mentioned in the whole New Testament, and they didn't have drug stores and all that kind of thing. But what they did have were elders in the church who not only ministered the spiritual things, but back in those days, they also dealt with the physical problems that a person would have. And when a person was, and the word sick there is ostenius. It doesn't necessarily mean sick. When a person is weary and wore out and down and doesn't even know how to pray, he calls the elders. They'd come over and they would massage that oil into his back. You know what that does? That begins to cause the circulation to go. We do have this in the hospitals. I, I like to place to fake sick just for about a week just to get those back rubs, man. They know what they're doing. What running up your back? Wouldn't you like to have one right now? Just, oh, man. It's just, just do a real good. It just makes you feel like you just want to, you're ready again. The blood circulating, the healing power in the body has been made through the blood. The blood is what heals. You say, well, Wayne, I don't buy that because he said anointing him with oil. There are two words for anoint. I hope you've looked it up. One word is the word that's always used in a spiritual sense. If that's what he's talking about, why is it not used here? The word used here is the secular use of the word, the massaging of the oil into someone's back. You know what James would say in this day and time? Is there somebody among you sick? Then call the elders and see if they can recommend to him a doctor, a good Christian doctor. Seek out whatever medical means you can possibly seek out. Why is it that we think that when God uses medical doctors and medicine and people get well, that that's not a gift of healing? It wasn't the doctor. It wasn't the medicine. God still has to bring the healing. But we have so shifted the gear. We make it so mystical, nobody can seem to understand. The scriptures show that the sick or weak person is to put his trust in the medicinal, not, not to put his trust in the medicinal means. He says, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The guarantee here is a spiritual restoration, which is usually the problem anyway. But also, at times, God will restore him even physically. If he's weak, enough. it doesn't guarantee a healing if someone is sick, but it does guarantee a spiritual restoration. If you follow the book of James, it's never getting out from under something. It's bearing up under whatever it is. So why would he change the whole theme of the book in chapter 5 and say, here's a quick fix if you want to be physically well? But the whole emphasis here is on the Lord doing the work, not on the medicine, not on the doctor's, the matter of recovery from prevention of sickness or death, God expects us to use the wisdom that he's imparted to us to seek out medical help. My son called me the other day in, in Portland. He's suffering from some things. And he says, Dad, I don't know what to do. I said, have you called a doctor? Well, no. I said, well, Stephen, I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, if you want to get on a plane and fly down here, I happen to know a few doctors. Maybe we can help you out. But if you want some help, you're going to have to call a doctor. Well, Dad, will you pray for me? Yes, I'll pray for you. And I bowed my head and said, God, I pray that you'll put your healing hand on my son, but God, I pray that you'll give him wisdom to find a doctor to care for him. And God, I pray that he'll see your hand in this. He said, Dad, I can't find anybody for three weeks. We prayed together. He found somebody in nine days. I said, it's amazing how God stepped into that situation. That's God. God gives the gifts of healings, plural. You know, the Lord did his part in raising Jairus' daughter. He said, child, arise. Then he turned right around and gave the parents something to do. He said in verse 54, over in uh, Luke 8, he says in verse 54 and 55, he, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Now, parents, you feed her. I'll raise her up. There's a balance of responsibility here. See, whatever lies within our power to do to recover life or health and sustain it, we must do and trust God in the process. 
He's working even as we see a doctor. I, I just want us to grasp this this morning. Or, or he, he cares for us in the way we eat. He's, he's working in that. It is still his gifts of healings. The Lord has not given us certain medications that lead to healing. He's given us gifts of healings. When a person's healed, he ought to fall on his face before God and say, God, thank you for bringing healing back to my body. You can't put healing into a shingle and hang it on your door and say you have the gift of healing. God gives them when he chooses to give them. And he, he's the one giving, giving the gifts. Not only does he give certain gifts when you get saved, he's consistently giving gifts when he chooses to give them. And he might choose to do it one way this time. He might choose to do it another way the next time. Well, I'll guarantee you one thing. If a person's healed and it's supernatural, it's usually because he couldn't get to medicine. His medicine didn't work. He was not available of any medicine or, just, or whatever. But, but it wasn't a matter of just saying, I'm going to skip the doctor and just go to God. That's not the way it works. God has given us gifts of healings. God is the one who is constantly giving the gifts, plural, of healings. This comes in a multiple way. Look over in Acts uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. If I wrote the right scripture down. I love it when I don't. Let me see if I did. Ha ha ha. Thank you Lord. Another gift of healing. <laughs> I got the right scripture. I've told you that story about one time. I wrote four times. I wrote the wrong scriptures down. <laughs> And uh, I apologized three different times. And finally, on the fourth one, I wasn't going to apologize. So I read it with unction, like it really meant something. Had nothing to do with what I was saying at all. And I saw people write that down and say, Ooh, that's deep. That's deep. <laughs> didn't have a thing to do with anything. I just didn't want to embarrass myself by apologizing again. Verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple in the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which he is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver of gold, and what I do I have, I give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now that's, that's exciting. That's extraordinary. But it was at that given moment. You think that you find a ministry of healing now that comes from Peter and John? And how many times did Peter and John walk by that guy until that one day God said, you say this to him. And he, they did, and the man rose and walked. You see, that kind of healing does take place and can take place, but that's not your norm. Look at Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Timothy has a stomach ailment. You think you, don't have, you, think have, you have stomach ailments over here? You go over there in that land, you're going to have stomach ailments. And he has a stomach ailment. The water, you know, was putrid over there. That's why they drank wine so much. And it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verse 23, he says, no longer drink water exclusively. You're drinking too much water. He says, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Wait a minute, Paul. You, you were healed when you were bitten by the poisonous snake. You've raised up other people. You, you, you one time took your handkerchiefs and it was passed out and people were healed. Why didn't you just say, Timothy, I declare you healed of your stomach ailments? Because God doesn't work the same way all the time. There are varying degrees of, of sicknesses. There are varying degrees of healings. God has so gifted the human body, it's healing itself right as you and I are right here in this auditorium right now. We don't even think of that as a miracle and a gift from God. Boy, the body's a miracle. There are in the human body 600 muscles, 1,000 miles of blood vessels, 350 arteries important enough to name. The skin spread out would cover 16 square feet. It has 1,500,000 sweat glands, which spread out on one surface, would occupy 10,000 square feet and cover five city lots, 20 by 100 feet. The lungs are composed of 700 million cells, all of which we use in breathing, equal to a flat surface of 2,000 feet, which would cover a city lot. In 70 years, the heart beats 2,500,000,000 times and lifts 
500,000 tons of blood. The nervous system controlled by the brain has three and zero to the 12th power, whatever that is, nerve cells. 9,200,000,000 of which are in the cortex of the brain alone. In the blood are 30 million white corpuscles. What do you think they do? And 180 trillion red ones. It is easy to believe why numbers of hairs on our heads, they only number about 250,000. And we say, oh, that gift of healing. God has so many gifts of healings, folks, it would take us another hour to walk through it. Now, have we covered the subject? No. We've just covered the diseases that are so varied, we can explain why it says gifts of healings, plural. We'll pick it up next week. But I want to tell you, folks, there's a circus going on in our world today of what people have done with gifts instead of just being responsive to the giver. God can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it and does, but he does it within bounds. That's why faith is the well out of which all these gifts come from, but faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. Be careful how you think about spiritual gifts. I do not believe, and I want to make sure I say it again, that Paul is teaching a complete teaching on spiritual gifts. He's dealing with the problem at Corinth, which are the manifestations that people are having and then attaching them to the Holy Spirit. And, and, God, and Paul is saying, yes, God does manifest himself, but in these ways, this is how God manifests himself. It's the giver, not the gift. When Stephen was growing up, he used to mow the grass for a price. It's amazing to me. I'd come home and that grass would be cut and weeded and I'm thinking, man, did Dinah do this? Later on, Dinah had to do it. I got her a lawnmower with headlights so she could do it after dark. But Stephen would do it. And I'd say, Stephen, did you do that? Yes, sir, boy, he just beamed. I said, man, I am so grateful for you. Doing that, I'm thinking. I turned to walk away and said, Dad, yeah, I thought maybe because I did it, you might give me a $20 advance on the allowance or a little addition here. And I started noticing people that do what they do because of the gift. But when he got a little older, grew up, I came home one day and he had cut the grass and I said, Stephen, and I started reaching my pocket. He says, no, 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 no. Dad, I just did what I did because I love you. And the emphasis shifted from the gift back to the giver. Grow up. Quit dividing the church over gifts. Get attached to the giver and let the giver do what he wants to do. And then you can walk in light of what he is all about. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.